Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is glory? Glory to God in the highest. What is glory? Well, if we look back at the Old Testament, we look at Exodus 24. The Israelites are freed from slavery to Egypt. They're before Mount Sinai in the presence of God. And to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord upon the mountain looked like a consuming fire. And if we turn to the prophet Ezekiel, as throughout the book, he, he sees visions of the glory of God. He describes it. He, he stammers and stutters to try to describe it as a bright radiance. You know, we often think of the glory of God as just this bright, white, blazing, overwhelming brightness of whiteness. But Ezekiel tells us that the bright radiance of the glory of the Lord was a multicolored rainbow. And the book of Revelation tells us that that multicolored rainbow that is around the throne of his glory has a prevailing and overwhelming shade of green, the color of life, the color of new life, restoration. And going back to Ezekiel, he tells us that the sound of the glory of God is like the sound of a million crushing waterfalls. The earth, the earth shone with the brightness of the glory of the Lord, says Ezekiel, because the glory of the Lord just lights up the world. And then Ezekiel tells us, you know what, I didn't manage to get this in every detail. I can't really communicate this. This is but, what I've written is but the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. What he's saying is I... I haven't even gotten close. Because words cannot describe it. It is so powerful and so majestic. And then we go back to Revelation and we see our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. And just looking at his face is like staring into the sun at its brightest moment of the day. Now Zechariah and his song, which we looked at last week, Zechariah, he prophesied, that the sunrise shall visit us from on high. He will light our darkness. He will guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah prophesied that the brightness of the glory of God would come into our darkness and guide us into the way of peace. And you've seen as we've been singing through the liturgy, and you'll see as we go through the, the text, it's all about glory and peace because the two are related very closely. They come together. So in this first Christmas, as we look at Luke chapter 2, the light of the glory of God does exactly what Zechariah prophesied it would do. It pierces the darkness of those fields close by to Bethlehem to proclaim peace to a world of sin, to a world which is broken and in conflict and at war with itself and with God. Look at verse 9 there before our text. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them. There is glory in the presence of the Lord, where God is present in the cloud of glory, shining so bright that you begin to shine. You remember Moses on the mountain? The longer he stayed in the presence of God, the more he shone so that the people couldn't handle even the reflection of God's glory in the face of Moses. Moses, put something over your face. It hurts. There's glory in the presence of God. And there is glory in God's provision. You look back in Exodus chapter 16, and, and the people are hungry. And the people say, why did you take us out of Egypt? We had food there. Now we're in the desert. And we're going to starve to death. And Moses says, tomorrow you will see the glory of the Lord. And what was that? It was God raining down bread from heaven. The glory of God's presence, the glory of God's provision. And then there is the glory of God's power. We sang about that in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The, the firmament, the skies declare or manifest the works of his hands. We look at the majesty and the glory of God in, in the, the majestic mountains and the valleys and the rivers and the lakes and the prairie skies and the, the glories that he paints on the morning sky at sunrise and paints again at evening as the sun sets. The glory of God and the the beauty, the light, and the sound of the northern lights. The glory of God in his presence, in his provision, and his power. Also the glory of God in his purity. You look back at Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah sees that vision of God in the temple. And the, the, the angels, they're singing holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory because the holiness of God is a glorious holiness. And then there's also the, the glory of God in his proclamation. We sang Psalm 29. God speaks into the world, and when he speaks, it shakes the universe. It shakes the creation. He speaks and those who do not know him, those who are not in Christ, quiver in fear, in silent fear. But in his temple, the saints cry glory. That's what happens when God is present in the glory of his proclamation. The saints hear and they worship and they cry glory. And all of these facets and more, because there are infinite facets to the glory of the Lord, all of these facets and more we find here in Luke chapter 2. We see the presence and the creative power and the purity and the proclamation of God's glory here as God is doing a marvelous work in the birth of the Messiah. And as the angels come to proclaim God's word, as we've already seen, wherever God's word is spoken, there is the glory of God, and they are filled, the shepherds are filled with great fear. The old version says they were sore afraid. 
And there's a reason for that, because we were created for glory. We were created in glory. We were created to bring glory. We were created clothed in glory. The psalmist says we were crowned with glory and honor, and there was just so much glory of God in us and on us and around us that as hard as it is for us to process this, we were more clothed in our nakedness in the garden than we are now with things that we're wearing in our bodies. We were covered in the glory of God, clothed in it. And when we sinned against God, when we sinned and fell short of the glory of God, we stripped ourselves naked. And so when the glory of God came into the garden, it made us afraid. That's what sinners do. Sinners run from the glory of God. Sinners cannot bear to be in the presence of the glory of God because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. To fallen sinners outside of Christ, God's glory brings terror. They were, they were filled with great fear. And so into, into this broken, fallen, dark world of sin, there's an announcement from heaven by the angel of the Lord, come down to earth. And the announcement is the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Christ the Lord, who Scripture calls the Lord of glory. And what's happening here in chapter 2 is the announcement that God is undoing what we did. God is undoing the fall. The angel announces the birth of the last Adam. He was planted in the depth of the earth, in the womb of his mother, and has emerged to begin his life of humiliation, suffering, and death. Well, where's the glory in that? The multitude of the heavenly hosts thinks that that is glorious. The beginning of the humiliation of the Son of God, they start singing, glory, glory to God in the highest. Why are they singing that? Well, the angel said to Mary, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. There's the same word almost that we have in the beginning of our verse. Glory to God in the highest, the most high. Jesus is the son of the most high, and yet there he is at the most low. He's there in humiliation. Firstborn child of two poor peasants. Nobody gives him a second look. He's there in poverty. He's there lying in an animal feeding trough because there's no crib for this baby. Where is the glory? Well, we've got to keep reading here. Glory to God in the highest. It's connected to something. And on earth, peace. 
on an earth peace. And we look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ the Messiah. God made flesh. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. Making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. So where's the glory? The glory is connected to the peace that he comes to bring. He is the Prince of Peace. He comes to undo the fall. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. We have turned God's glory into shame because of our sin and rebellion. Heaven and earth are at war. A holy God and sinful man locked in mortal combat, and there's only one outcome that man can attain in a fight like that, and that is certain defeat and certain death. Because when we don't live in God's glory, when we don't live for God's glory, there is no peace. Isaiah 57, 12, there is no peace, says my, my God, for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Outside of Christ, in Adam's fall, Every relationship is broken with God, husband, wife, parents, children, brother with brother, <clears throat> sibling with sibling, people with each other, people with the animals and the creation itself. Everything's in conflict. Everything's at war. We know that, right? Even though we're Christians. We know that the fallenness of this world, we see it in the brokenness of every relationship. Even our bodies sometimes fighting with, them, with, with, our, with ourselves, our own bodies, as our cells fight one another, and it's not always the good ones that win. Everything broken, everything in conflict, everything at war. But Jesus came to change that. Making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, God can't suffer. God can't bleed. And someone had to suffer in our place. Someone had to bleed for us. So God was made man. The Son of God took on human nature so he could suffer, so he could suffer pain in mind, in body, and in soul, so that he could suffer your pain and my pain so that he could suffer the eternal agonies of hell, God's righteous judgment on your sin, on my sin, so that he could bleed, so that he could die. That's how he, he makes the peace. That's why he was born. Do you believe this? Is this true for you? Well, look at the, the text here. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. Now, 
there are lots of references in the scripture to that, that word which here is translated with whom he is pleased. But I'd like to just draw your attention to Ephesians 1. There's this glorious hymn to God's sovereign and electing love in Christ in Ephesians chapter 1. If you just flip ahead to Ephesians 1, look at verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Purpose. See that word purpose? That's the same word that in our text is translated, he is pleased. He delights to do something. He determines to do something. He decides to do something. It is his sovereign good pleasure to do something. Now look at verse 9, Ephesians 1, 9. He lavished the riches of his grace upon us. And then verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. There's the same word. That word purpose there is the same word which in our text is translated, he is pleased. It is the sovereign electing decree and love of God in Christ. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace for all the people. You see back there in verse 10? For his people. For the ones whom he is pleased to choose for himself to be his own possession. There is peace declared to the church of God, to the people of God. And what does that mean? Well, that means, brother and sister, that your name is right here in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to you. You can put your name right there. Peace to you. Jesus was born for the glory of God. Jesus was born to bring peace to you, child of God. Because from eternity, before time even began, he has known you by name. He has loved you in Christ. He made the universe for you to be your home. He set his love upon you from eternity in Christ so that you would live for the praise of his glory. Well, those are beautiful, beautiful truths of Scripture. But is it just for us? Is it, is it just for the elect? Is this something we need to kind of say, well, that's really nice. Let's just keep it for ourselves and don't tell other people they may not be chosen. Is that how it works? Well, brother and sister, if we keep reading in Ephesians, that's pretty clear. That's not the way that God wants us to use that comforting doctrine of election. Because Ephesians, a little later on, says this, that he came and preached peace to those far off and to those who are near. Now, that's biblical language. Those who are far off is biblical language for those outside of the covenant. Those who are not yet in the church. And those who are near are those who are in the covenant, who are in a relationship with God. And then the Ephesians, Paul continues to the Ephesians saying this, he himself is our peace, breaking down the dividing wall and creating one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Jesus came to demolish the wall between Jew and Gentile, between the people of Israel and the rest of the nations. He came to open up the kingdom to everybody. 
So when we, when we look at our text and we see right here the sovereign electing love of God in Christ for us, that doesn't mean to say at all that we ought to just kind of keep it quietly to ourselves. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God and the revealed things belong to us and our children. The secret things are the fixed and eternal decrees of God. We have no idea who the elect are. But we do know what God tells us to do. He says, go, go into all the world and make disciples of, of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. God sends the church into the world, not with the message that, hey, you know, we're a bunch of really special people and maybe you don't even belong with us. But God sends us into the world with a wide open arms, calling all sinners like us to Christ, who is a savior of sinners. And so we go in obedience to God. We call to repentance and faith every man, woman, and child. Because here is the guarantee of the Holy Scripture that when we are found in Christ, then we know that he is well pleased with us. And so our desire for our family, for our children, for our neighbors, for our colleagues at work and at school, our desire is that they would come to know Christ, that they would be found in Christ, and that they might know that he is well pleased with them. All are invited. All are called to what? Well, to, to peace. To peace. Okay, well, there's, there, are the, the, there are the angels singing. And there are the shepherds on, on, on the, the ground. And there in Bethlehem, there's Joseph and Mary and little baby. What has changed? Nothing's changed. The Romans are still running the show. The corrupt church officials are still burdening the church with all of their false teachings and all of their corruption. World's still full of war and sin and violence, and in fact, it's going to get worse. So where's the peace? What has changed here? Brothers and sisters, in a way, the birth of Jesus right there in Bethlehem hasn't changed a thing. And yet, and yet, he was born to change everything. God calls us not to a human-sized peace, you know, the kind of peace that, well, it's Christmas time. We've been arguing all year as a family. Let's just bury the hatchet and let's just pretend that we're all a happy family, at least for one Christmas meal. Not that kind of fake Christmas truce. That's not the kind of peace that God offers us in Christ because that falls short and falls short a lot of the glory. Brothers and sisters, we have to understand what kind of a peace and what kind of a glory God calls us to and offers to us in Christ. You know, so often we're, we're, we're living in a very well-off society and we're, we're able to live pretty good lives and, and the danger is that we begin to confuse the gospel with being nice and being good people and being having stable marriages and stable families and just being examples, really, in the community. 
And then our evangelism starts looking like this. Well, we're really good people. We've got our lives together. Wouldn't you like to be like us? Come and join us, and maybe you can get up to our standard. The trouble with that, brothers and sisters, if we look at the gospel in human terms, that is simply not true. I know uh, of unbelievers who are a lot nicer than some Christians I know. So God isn't calling us here to a gospel of human niceness. But he's calling us to something far greater and far more glorious, something that we cannot attain or access ourselves. He's calling us to the peace of God that surpasses understanding. It's something which lifts us up to God, to glory. And it does that because sin has been dealt with by God. We don't scrabble and scramble and climb our way back up to glory by being good and by being nice, but we get there by believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the Paul says to us in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have peace with God by being a very good person and trying harder to be a better person. But we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who made peace by the blood of his cross. And if we have that peace, keep reading there in Romans 5. What do we have? Look at verse 2. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It is through the peace of God in Christ that we get back to the glory from which we fell. The glory that when we were sinners and apart from Christ filled us with terror, but now we no longer fear it. We love it. There is no crushing feeling of guilt and unworthiness, but instead there is this eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Even in our sufferings, even in our humiliation, there is glory. That's, that's the dynamic of the Christian life, brothers and sisters, that we get to see things that aren't immediately apparent. The angels saw it. There was Jesus in his humiliation. They say, glory. This is amazing. God's doing stuff to save sinners. Look at that humiliation. Let's praise God for it. And then the apostle says to us, 1 Peter 4, 14, well, you've got to live the same way. You've got to have the same eye of faith and the same vision of faith. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In our humiliation and our suffering, we rejoice like the angels because the spirit of glory rests upon us. Now this, this peace that Christ was born to bring, he's the prince of peace, this peace comes with a cost. These are not cheap words here in Luke 2.14. That word peace there comes very expensively. It costs not us, but Jesus, a life of suffering. It is through suffering, says the scripture, that he brings many sons to glory. And he calls us to live our lives according to the same pattern, brothers and sisters, 
He calls us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow him on the way of the cross. Because the scripture from beginning to end hammers into us that the way to glory is the way of the cross. It is through humiliation. It is through suffering. It is through death. God says to us, the way up is first of all down. The way to the light is through the darkness. The way to riches is through poverty. The way to life is through death. And we see it in our Lord Jesus. He had everything. He did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He had the power and the glory and the might and the wealth. And he gave it up. He gave it up. To lie there in that animal feeding trough, a defenseless little baby. Now Jesus is telling us something, brothers and sisters, as he lies there in that manger. Do we get the message? Are you looking for peace? Are you looking for glory? Then give up. Give up everything that you're grasping for. Give up every reliance on your own strength, your own plans, your own abilities, your own self-improvement, your own merit. Give it up. Let go and fall into the arms of your father like a little child in total dependence upon him. Jesus shows us the way and he calls us to follow. And we believe in him. And we become his disciples. And we deny ourselves. And we take up our cross. And we follow him. And we look to him. And we have peace with God. And as we look to him. And as we live in the peace that he has given to us. Then the scripture says, 2 Corinthians 3.18. That we with unveiled face. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so the words of our text are true, as all the words of all texts are true, only in and through Christ. Now we know this. Here we are in 2023, the, the world around us is dark, it's full of pain and horror, violence and war and conflict far and near. We know the power and the glory of the finished work of Christ. And we know that the story doesn't end here, but it's just beginning, actually, his work. And we're, we're waiting. We know that we're awaiting the second advent. We know that Jesus is coming. Is this something that we keep to ourselves? Or do we comfort those who sit in darkness? Do we speak of peace, the peace that waits for them in Christ? That if they turn to him in true faith, their sins can be covered and their warfare can be over. If we know this, brothers and sisters, if we know this gospel, how can we keep silent? We must cry out like a herald. 
The kingdom of God has come near. Prepare for God away. Make straight what long was crooked. Make the rougher places plain. Let your hearts be true and humble for the glory of the Lord. Now on earth is shed abroad and all flesh shall see the token that his word is never broken. His word is never broken. Because here in Luke chapter 2, we see once again that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. A great and mighty wonder upon the earth was done. Mary, virgin mother, gave birth to God's own son. The word became incarnate, made flesh, yet very God, since he came to us to ransom. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. To God and high the glory and peace on earth to men. Amen. And now let's sing the words of that hymn that I just quoted, hymn number 21 through to 4, we stand to sing.